Action Network podcast. Are you going to place a bet or what? Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. We're back with our fifth annual edition of the Expert's Guide to Fantasy Football. I'm your host, Maria Marino. Excited to be joined by Action Network fantasy experts, Sean Kerner and Chris Raybon. You can hear them every week during the NFL season on this very podcast as well as the Fantasy Flex. Fellas, how are we feeling today? Feeling good, Maria. I'm just I'm just disappointed you didn't announce us, introduce us as uh, the you know best uh, performers coming off a of bender uh, in our company. Gambly, win- Gambly yeah. winning podcasters. Exactly. Okay. Quick quick backstory, just for anyone listening. We had the awards, the Gamblies, our first <laughs> annual edition, um, and that was an, an actual award that these two received best performance off a of bender. Congratulations, guys. Thank, um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> But took a lot that, of hard work, but that is know. only one of their many accomplishments. So a lot of listeners of this podcast probably know you guys already. Um, and before we get into just best practices for fantasy football, this is how um, I've been informed to summarize their expertise. So every <laughs> season, the website Fantasy Pros ranks the accuracy of almost 200 professional fantasy experts. And Chris and Sean consistently rank highly in these objective rankings last season chris and sean both finished in the top five clapping for you well done guys thank you thank you thank you so basically (laughs) you guys are qualified to talk about fantasy football so that's why we have you on here to do just that and obviously you can't play fantasy football without a draft so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about draft strategy and how to approach a draft And it's perfect timing because a lot of these fantasy drafts are coming up very soon here as we get into August. So, you know, this this NFL offseason, there's been a lot of talk about running backs um, and sort of the position in the league Mm -hmm. being somewhat devalued by owners. And there's been a lot of contract disputes and whatnot, Um, despite how the actual NFL views running backs. It's my impression that in fantasy football, (laughs) running backs are still extremely valuable and important. So Chris, why don't we start with you? Talk about your philosophy with running backs and has it changed at all over the years? Because I think that the typical assumption is what I said, that that running backs are where you want to focus things first. Yeah, I think it has changed over the years. So maybe, you know, five, 10 years ago, even you would look at running backs and they would, they would almost exclusively be your first round, maybe even your second round picks. You'd always want to get and a weak running back, but with the way the league is trending toward a passing league, not, not just the devaluing of running backs, but more just trending toward a passing league. There's less of the traditional bell cow running backs that we used to see, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And so what's happened is there's usually a big tear break between the few elite running backs. Think your Christian McCaffrey's and your Austin Eckler's uh, and everyone else, because most running backs just aren't getting that those type of snap rates uh, anymore. Derek Henry's another one. Um, but when you look at the overall way that, you know, fantasy is being scored, like you have to, you have to start a whole team. Nowadays, you're usually starting a flex in addition to two running backs and at least two receivers. So wide receivers have become uh, like more important in my opinion than running backs now. And so 
this year in particular, you know, there's been a strategy that's kind of been uh, kind of a trending up and down over the last few years called the zero RB strategy, which is essentially where you, you don't really draft many running backs in the high leverage round, sometimes none. Um, and I think this year, 2023 in particular, that actually works quite well because the thing, the difference between running backs and receivers is you're not going to find uh, a team's number one receiver on the waiver wire. You know, if a receiver gets hurt, the number two will go up to the number one and so on. Whereas running backs, you can find some of those guys due to injury, uh, you know, on the waiver wire or later in the draft. So I think it's really important to get, you know, three bona fide receivers plan to play a receiver in the flex. And especially this year, a lot of the RB2 types, you know, the Miles Sanderses and the Aaron Joneses and the Cam Akers, there's a pretty kind of big tier of those guys. Uh, whereas the tier drops off a lot more after, you know, the the top 25 or 30 wide receivers. So my plan for this year in particular usually is to get, you know, probably like three or four of those RB2 types. Uh, and if it means I miss out on a guy like McCaffrey, but I have, you know, an extra elite ride, wide receiver, uh, I'm fine with that. Interesting. So Sean, um, I know you have a few different strategies mm -hmm. when it comes to running backs, including, you know, this zero RB approach that Raymond mentioned, which surprised me a little bit, but um, can you sort of lay those out and maybe what your preference is for this, this off season? Yeah. So there, there's really three main draft strategies when it comes to running backs. Um, and they all focus on like the first five rounds. So the first is Rayball mentioned it zero running back. Uh, and it basically sums itself up. You take zero running backs in the first five rounds. So you're filling out your wide receivers. Maybe you take a quarterback, a tight end, um, but you're basically avoiding all running backs in the first five rounds. The second is robust running back. Um, and that's where you take around three running backs in the first five rounds. You're just really loading up maybe because everybody else is fading running backs. Um, and the third is kind of a blend of the two. It's called hero running back. And that's where you take one running back, let's say in rounds one and two, you just get a stud running back. And then you use the other four rounds to load up a wide receiver, take a quarterback or tight end. Um, I'm typically of the uh, hero running back mindset. I, I, I don't think while I get the logic behind zero running back, I don't think you really want to avoid it. It's still very important. It's very fragile. You know, running backs are constantly getting injured. It's, you know, they're smaller frame. They're taking the most hits. It's a very violent position. So I get the fragility of it, but you still want to have a good running back. So I like taking a running back this season, probably round two is when I'm taking a running back. And then I'm with Raybon. Like you want to load up in receivers if you have an elite quarterback fall to you, great. You can take him this year. Um, if you have the opportunity to get a Travis Kelsey or a Mark Andrews, you could do that. Uh, but I do think you want to come with the, the first five rounds with a uh, with the running back in the first couple, let's say. Um, so I can get behind the hero RB approach. And then I'm using the middle to late rounds to really fill out my bench with a lot of mm -hmm. high upside running backs um, because that kind of takes advantage of the fragility and volatility of the position. So I think the hero running back approach is sort of the best of uh, both worlds. And to add to what Sean is saying about the fragility uh, of the position, so to put some numbers behind it, when you look at running backs typically drafted in a 12-team league, they're usually uh, – the median missed games for a running back is usually going to be two to three games, whereas for other positions, it's usually going to be one game, maybe two games uh, certain years. But running backs tend to miss – 
usually double the games mm-hmm. of other positions. And if you look at the averages even more, because you'll have some of those, you know, longer injuries or IR stints or season enders. So um, that's why we're kind of talking about the fragility of the mm-hmm. position and the more snaps, you know, the more likely a guy is to get hurt, which is why, you know, some of those, like those robust running back strategies where you're taking, you know, two or three or four in the first five rounds that can bite you in the back because, you know, you're taking these guys that are going to be projected to be bell cows, but they're also more likely to get hurt. And you're not really balancing your team with, you know, high upside, high floor, high ceiling guys at other positions that are less likely to get hurt. So you end up reducing the amount of startable games that you have across your entire lineup over the course of the season. Well, I have to say, I've always been more of a play it safe kind of uh, fantasy football uh, participant. So, I mean, to me, the zero RB, like I'm scared. I'm too scared. Um, I think I definitely traditionally have have leaned with the hero running back approach where, you know, my first round or my first, yeah, my first round pick might be a wide receiver, but I'm definitely taking a running back in that second round then. Um, But it sounds like both of you, um, you're going wide receiver with your first pick in the draft. More often than not, but a big thing we should also mention early on in the podcast is I think Sean and I would both agree very strongly that you should not have a rigid draft strategy coming yeah. in. So we're just trying to um, coin, you know, the, and these, these names have been coined, but just trying to coin these strategy names for people um, to differentiate between the different potential strategies. But th- this is also something that it's going to depend on the year. It's going to depend yes. on the draft and who's available uh, right. because, you know, I, just because I, I, I you know, kind of skew wide receiver early on doesn't mean I don't have any running backs ranked in my top 12 or top 24 or whatever. So it really just depends on the year. And I think that's a big, a big piece of advice. Do not have a rigid strategy because you, you want to kind of understand where the value is by default. And, you know, according to the consensus ADP, but then you can react when things go sideways and not as expected. Right. So, I mean, you have your plan going in your plan a, but you also have to react and adapt to what's happening in real time, what's unfolding. And and to your point, who is available. So what are some other important rules when it comes to draft strategy, Sean? Um, So one of my favorite things to do is if, if it's not required, I don't even draft a kicker or defense. Um, Those are positions that you could just stream in season uh, and be fine with that. So instead of drafting a kicker defense, I like to stash two more backup running backs in the last rounds and just hold on to them before the season starts. And sometimes you can get lucky. I remember I took James Conner with my last pick in almost every league, and that was the year that Le'Veon Bell held out into the season. And James Conner ended up being a league winner. So it's like, what would be better, having a potential league winner there or having Mason Crosby just rotting away on your bench? So I always (laughs) advise people to hang on to two extra running backs and then by week one, you know, if, if none of them hit, which is probably the most likely outcome, then you could drop them, pick up a kicker defense. Uh, but for when it like comes to quarterbacks, um, another strategy that I have is, you know, ideally I want to get a top seven quarterback, especially this year. But if I can't, it's totally fine to not even draft a quarterback if you don't want to, because that's another position where during the season, if you're in, say, a 12-team league that only starts one quarterback, mm-hmm you're able to stream, you know, potentially a top 12 quarterback every week just based on matchups. And sometimes you could stumble upon a guy that you're going to be using every week. Like last year, Geno Smith was a perfect example. Justin Herbert, his rookie season, I ended up with him on a few teams and I didn't even draft the quarterback that year. So you can get lucky with that. However, if you're in a league that starts two quarterbacks or is a super flex league, it's the exact opposite. You want to get two to three quarterbacks 
as early as possible because again at any given time there's only 32 starting quarterbacks you know, there's a huge drop off between QB 32 and QB 33. Um, whereas other positions, even if a guy's backing somebody up, they're still going to get stats and provide value. But that's just not a luxury you have with quarterbacks. So in two in leagues where you start two quarterbacks, it's a much different strategy where you have to draft them much earlier. Well, I'm curious, Sean, um, because you said especially this year to pick up, you know, a top seven quarterback. Can you just explain why? Yeah, in years past, um, you know, what I call the streaming tier, quarterbacks say 12 through 24, there's been a lot of good quarterbacks that I would be happily, you know, streaming throughout the season, um, whereas we didn't have as many elite quarterbacks like we do now. So right now, we have guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, really good quarterbacks that are going to be ranked in the top five most weeks. Um, so that gives you a huge advantage by having one of them. Whereas the streaming tier have a lot of question marks and I'm not as comfortable this year. So that's why I'm saying this is a year where I'm more comfortable taking a quarterback early. Gotcha. And you also, of course, talked about just, you know, streaming defenses and kickers, not even worrying about drafting them. I can tell you from my experience, sometimes I would feel like that peer pressure where there'd be that person in the league that like way too early, like drafts a defense and you're like whoa whoa whoa! should i be looking at defense like you gotta like resist the temptation no. to like you just keep your eyes on your own paper um but raymond i was curious if you had any other like just general strategies that you wanted to throw into this before we move on yeah so i think the big one is you cannot win your draft in the first few rounds but you can lose it so the earlier you are in the draft the more you want to make sure you're taking players uh, with as little risk as possible, with as high a floor as possible. And that's why I think, you know, we've started to, you know, go towards wide receivers more just simply due to the missed games. You know, if you have a running back and a wide receiver, for example, projected for the same amount of points per game, just know that that running back is likely to miss more games. So sometimes you can mitigate risk by going with like a, a hero running back strategy, like Sean mentioned, or a zero running back strategy. Um, so that's the first thing. As you get further into the draft, that's where, you want to take more and more risks because once you get, you know, into the double digit rounds, you want upside. You don't, you're you already drafted players that should be say, you know, generally safe uh, for your starting lineup and that are going to get consistent playing time. But once you get into those double digit rounds, now you don't really need as many high floor guys as you're looking for, uh, you know, a high ceiling guy that maybe can either, you know, replace a starter that you already have that and make your team even better uh, or or be a trade chip or whatever or not. Um, you need those high ceiling guys that you can uh, see putting up startable numbers, not just like the best RB5 or RB4 or wide receiver four over the course of the season. Like you want guys who can be, you know, RB1s or, or, or wide receiver one or two. So that that's a big thing. And then I, just my philosophy is I'm always looking for, uh, startable games. So for each position, it's how can I get to the amount of startable games that I need for my entire lineup? So, you know, you have to factor in the flex there. And that's why, you know, a lot of times you can wait on quarterback um, because there are, you know, if you're starting one, there's still going to be a lot of startable games available on the waiver wire later in the draft. That's why you can stream a position like that. Same thing for kicker or defense. So I would always take those positions last if I was forced to. And if not, uh, I would follow the strategy Sean mentioned where you don't even draft them and you just stash extra backs and receivers, but uh, safety early upside late. That's, that's the general principle. 
Got it. And you know, uh, since you talked about uh, floor and ceiling, um, these are terms that we hear all the time. And you know, high floor, I take that to mean sort of low risk, uh, like you were saying. And then mm-hmm. you know, ceiling is like they have high upside. Yeah. But since we're on that topic, Sean, do you want to maybe just briefly like uh, define those yeah. terms a, a little more specifically, and also volatility? Yeah, so we have to think about every player is having a range of outcomes for what their final stat line will be. Um, so when we refer to someone's ceiling, we're essentially referring to their best case scenario in their range of outcomes. So for example, let's take rookie running back Zach Charbonnet for the Seahawks, for example. So he's going to be backing up Kenneth Walker this season. Um, he's probably going to finish in the RB35 range if both running backs are healthy all season. However, if Kenneth Walker suffers a season-ending injury before week one, let's say, Zach Charbonnet could end up being a top 10 running back this year. So we would refer to that as his ceiling, um, Mm -hmm. something that is in his range of outcomes, but might not be likely. Um, But again, that's in his range of outcomes. So when we're saying he has a high ceiling, that's kind of what I'm referring to. Um, And, you know, when it comes to um, where to draft players like that, I think Raybon mentioned it. It's a little bit later in the draft. You know, it's guys that are backups. You can get them cheaper. They have a lot of upside, but they need things to go their way to hit there. That's kind of when you're drafting based on ceiling. However, when it comes early in the draft, like Raybon mentioned, that's where you can kind of lose it. So you're you're wanting to draft guys with the high floor. So when it comes to floor, I guess we could say everyone has the same floor, which is getting hurt before week one and missing the entire season, getting zero points. Unfortunately, that's part of the game. So when it comes to floor, we're just assuming everybody's healthy. How, what, like, what's the worst case scenario if everyone's healthy? And a player like Keenan Allen comes to mind as somebody that has a really high floor. If he's healthy and plays the whole season, you could write him in for 100 catches, 1,100 yards, and six to seven touchdowns. Like, he's a guarantee to put up those type of numbers. But he doesn't have, like, a massive ceiling of, like, 15-plus touchdowns. So I would say he's a low volatile a low volatile player. Like he has a narrow range of outcomes, which early in the draft is fantastic. That's what you want. Whereas somebody like Kadarius Tony, who's always getting hurt, has a random big game here or there. He's highly volatile. (laughs) So you have to kind of know when to draft players like that and kind of understand what we mean by saying a guy has a high ceiling or a high floor. Um, And at certain points in the draft, one is more valuable than the other. So like I said, in the beginning of the draft, you kind of want to go for a high floor. Whereas later on, that's where you want to take your shots and take guys with a high ceiling. Rayvon, anything you want to add to that just as far as sort of how you assess those two things and um, also just like how you uh, measure volatility? Yeah, so when you're looking at, so again, I like to look at startable games and, and kind of look at, you know, a lot of sites track like, you know, how many top 10 finishes or top five finishes. You could kind of think of it like that, like how many of those throughout the season uh, is a player capable of putting up, you know, max and and minimum. So when you look at, I think the best way to explain the difference between like a high floor and a high ceiling pick later in the draft is, you know, look at like the Seattle situation, for example, if you were choosing between, you know, like DJ Dallas is a guy who, because I think Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker are actually hurt right now. So if you look at a guy like DJ Dallas, like he might, he might only be the third down back, even if those guys are hurt. Whereas maybe a guy like Kenny McIntosh 
Uh, and these are just examples, but maybe he might be a three down back. So you would take the three down back, even if DJ Dallas might, you know, he, his median projection, because you're still projecting Walker and, and Charbonnet to play uh, might be higher. So it's, it's things like that. It's like, who would be the three down back? Like, wh- mm-hmm. like you don't want a receiver to come in and just be like the, still the third option in the slot. Like maybe, you know, if, uh, if a guy like Donovan people Jones gets hurt, uh, you know, you'd look at a guy like uh, Cedric Tillman, who would be his direct backup to come in and potentially get those deep targets versus, you know, Elijah Moore, his his role might not change as much. So you're just kind of looking for those discrepancies later on in the draft, because I think as, AD, as you go down ADP, especially once you get outside the starters, maybe the top 50, I don't think anyone really knows what to do. And I think that's where a lot of times people like, you know, Sean and myself, Excel is like there's there's just these late round picks. Like I remember, you could get Isaiah Pacheco pr- pretty late in 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 drafts last year. Um, you know, and that was a guy that you know we said okay at some point in the year he's gonna get the starting role. So that would be an example of, of a guy. You know, and, and I know Jarrett McKinnon had a good season as well, but usually you would take a guy like Pacheco who you who could you could see starting over a guy like McKinnon who's usually gonna top out as that third down passing down specialist kind of back. So those are the that's the difference between high ceiling and high floor later in the drafts. And you can, when you're measuring these things, uh, you can look at something like just a standard deviation in fantasy points or each stat, like, you know, the standard deviation for wide receiver receiving yards game to game is, is going to be, you know, higher um, than, than rushing yards or, or, or passing yards um, as a percentage of, of the stat. So things like that you can use to, to measure as well. So obviously um, in those later rounds, when you're looking to find some of those um, higher ceiling players, that, you know, could potentially break out, um, especially later in the year, that's oftentimes going to be filling your flex position. And Raybon, I know you sort of mentioned flex before, um, but Sean, was there anything else that you wanted to highlight just regarding how to treat the flex position during drafts? Um, the flex position isn't really something that that's like a draft strategy. Um, uh, again, you, you're, you're going to be using either a running back or wide receiver for the flex. Right. Um, so, you know, my draft strategy of just loading up at running backs as much as possible um, right. and then taking receivers with high upside will just sort itself out. So during the season, I'm going to just be playing whichever one has the highest projection that week. And of course, you can make that decision by looking at our rankings week to week. But that's that's more of a week to week decision than something I'm attacking in the draft. Makes sense. Um, well, let me ask you this, Sean, what is your preferred draft position? Not that you can necessarily control such things. <laughs> right. It's outside of your control. So ideally you, you don't care. Um, and yeah. I don't really care. I think uh, wherever I end up, um, I'll be fine. I typically, you know, you typically want one of the first six picks because that's where you can get, you know, the elite players and then it starts to drop off a bit. So there is an edge of having a first six pick when it comes to the first round. But overall, in the grand scheme of a draft, I actually like being in the middle because one of my draft strategies is trying to figure out which players will make it back to me. Um, hmm. And if you're in the middle of the draft, at any given time, you're you're roughly thinking, okay, there's going to be 12 players drafted before my next pick. So it's a little bit easier to be in control of you know which players you take when. Whereas if you're at the end, the beginning or end of the draft, you usually have to account for 22 or 23 players that'll get taken uh, before your next pick. So you kind of have to make reaches a little bit. You're less sure that certain players will make it back. So being in the middle, I feel like I have more control and I'm able to get 
the specific players I want, where if I'm at the end, I'm about, I'm more at the mercy of the rest of the right. league. So that's, that's why I prefer the, the middle of the draft uh, for the later rounds. I also have found like with a snake draft, if you're a little too close to the turn, like sometimes like I know what I want to do with my next pick. And then all of a sudden my other pick is coming up so fast. I'm like, wait, I didn't get a chance to decide yet. (laughs) So hold on. I actually have another question. Um, And this is really just my own curiosity. What are, what is your preferred league size for both of you? Like how many teams? I prefer 12. I just think that's, that's kind of been the classic Um, 10, 10 is fun, but it just feels a little more, a little less challenging because there's a, a like the, the player pool is a little bit um yeah. you know bigger for the teams available I, I guess you could say um so i prefer 12. yeah I, I mean i prefer 12 too but to be honest like it'd be super fun to be in a 32 team league right right bond we're <laughs> yeah. deciding if kyle use check is in play this week like expand <laughs> the, player pool. Yes. the more players that are involved the, the more i'm gonna like it so give me a 32 team league but other than that like the traditional 12 teamer is fine with me I have found that 14 is pretty, pretty fun. Yeah, right. 14, um, it's like a little extra challenge. No, it is. It is. Yeah. But so uh, oddly, this is a little background of me that neither of you asked for, but I was in a league for years. Um, There was always 16 teams, always. And it was mm. so rough. And like the waiver wire <laughs> was so thin. Every Sounds year. fun. I finished third back to back. So I was very proud of that. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, and I assume that you guys prefer PPR. Or half, oh. half, half are focused. Or sometimes, half. I actually sometimes, like half too. Yeah, because oh. sometimes full, and I know a lot of people play full, and and there's not usually a, a massive difference, especially in the projections. But yeah. um, the thing about it is, just from you know a practical standpoint, you know if a guy catches like six <laughs> passes for four yards, like yeah. you'd rather not reward him as much. So I, I do prefer half. I think it's a a, a good mix between yeah. not yeah. rewarding it at all and not like over rewarding volume. Exactly. Let's talk about some other uh, things that you guys have mentioned, obviously rankings are something that you guys do with regularity. And then also ADP is a term that Raybon, I heard you mention average draft position. So what are the best ways to sort of utilize those two things, Raybon? So the, the thing I think people have to know is that rankings aren't necessarily where you should take a player, you also have to take into account Mm -hmm. ADP. So let's say I have a running back ranked 10th among running backs. He's the RB 10, uh, but his ADP is not to RB 25. If you just, if if there were, you know, nine other running backs off the board and then you just took him uh, as the 10th running back, you wouldn't be getting good value because you could have probably waited uh, for another 10 to 12 running backs to go off the board And my RB10 would have still been on the board. So Mm -hmm. uh, you want to use average draft position uh, along with rankings to make your decision. You want it because remember, average draft position is just an average. There's always going to be times when that doesn't go according to plan either. So it's just more of being able, like you mentioned, Maria, uh, you have to kind of plan your picks out during the draft as they happen and, and kind of react to what's going on on the board. So I think that's the thing with rankings. It's the rankings are you know, how are you valuing players with, you know, it, but within positions and then between positions, but then you have to use ADP for that final, um, you know, to, to, to determine where exactly you're going to end up drafting these, these players. That that's the final thing. Like if you have, if you just have rankings and no idea of ADP, you're still probably not going to have the perfect draft because you're going to leave value on the table. Even if you take guys mm-hmm. in the order um, yeah. that we're projecting them to finish, 
um, that that's still not going to be enough because you could get even more value by by paying attention to ADP and taking guys, you know, just around where they're going to fall a little ahead of it if you're if you're really um, targeting them. Okay, so both, not one or the other. Sean, mm-hmm. what else? Yeah, so just piggybacking what Raybon said, I think your your main goal is to take the best available player based on position need that is unlikely to make it back to you. That's kind of how you escape these traps. So the biggest mistake I see people see people make uh, using my rankings is they just draft them to a T, um, and that's how you kill value. Like if you take a guy two to three rounds before he would have been selected, you're kind of killing that value. So if if you know a guy's going to make it back to you, don't draft him. Draft the best available player that won't make it back to you. So having a good understanding of where people are being drafted, like through ADP. Um, you get that through practice. Um, and also ADP changes itself. Like today, an example would be Tim Patrick looks like he suffered a potentially season ending injury. So if you look at a guy like Marvin Mims, uh, ADP, it's going to be like wide receiver 70. But if you were to hop in a draft right now, he might go like wide receiver 55 or something like that. So you just have to be understanding of like where ADPs might currently be or where they might go. So that's half of the draft battle is trying to guess when and where people go uh, but the reason you need to do that is because you need to maximize you know our rankings and getting guys before they're taken off the board not you know like two or three rounds before that's how you kill uh you know the value so being aware of current adp trends uh, i think is huge well of course by doing all of this stuff that you guys have already discussed hopefully you're going to have a quote unquote good draft i mean i know um draft grades are given out immediately after and I'm not really sure how accurate those are because obviously so much uh, can change throughout the year, but is there anything else that you recommend Raybon to just sort of mitigate having a bust in the draft or just bad picks? Yeah, I think, well, the first thing, don't pay attention to those post-draft grades. Um, <laughs> yeah. they, they're they all, they're kind of algorithm-based and they're never going to fully capture that. Maybe one day they will be able to, but I, yeah. I haven't seen any yet that have captured kind and of the they- nuances of team building. They, they hate my teams because I don't have a kicker defense. Too, so. <laughs> exactly. Um, but <laughs> I, I think, I think, yeah. So to avoid bust, it, it differs by positions. I think there's always things, you know, you can look out for, for each position uh, with running backs, you know, it's, you know, age, age is something where, you know, the older a running back gets, especially once you get past, you know, 27, 28, I think injuries are more likely and just uh, decline is more likely wide receivers you always want to kind of look at the the quarterback involved and also you know if it's a team where you're just kind of assuming a guy's going to be the number one but there's you know a lot of newer players or rookies or second year guys on the team uh, remember those guys tend to take jumps um so that could kind of um there could be some there's be some risk there um with those guys and then i think on the opposite side you know also pay attention to to certain trends within positions like wide receivers tend to break out in their second or third year. They tend to take a big leap. So that's something you usually want to factor in. Rookie running backs uh, tend to, you know, be productive right away. And a lot of times you can, you know, the uncertainty is where you're going to get those edges. So where are things different from last year? Because anyone can look at, you know, some stats from last year, kind of say, okay, well, that's roughly what this player is going to do this year. Uh, But I think it's a lot harder for people to accurately project rookies or project the, improvements that a you know second year player might make or the drop-offs that some of 
you know, the older veterans might have. So that's a lot of times where you can find value, you know, stocking up on second year receivers, third year receivers, stocking up on rookie running backs, even if going into week one, it doesn't necessarily look like they have, uh, you know, a, a path to like a, a startable value in week one. Um, you know, there's Sean does his running back upside rank is where he actually looks at, you know, how, how would this running back perform if the starter got hurt? And that's how you got to kind of think about it. So um, I think rookie running back, second, second and third year receivers, um, those are some things you can do to kind of get upside and then just avoiding, you know, bad situations, you know, teams, you know, offensive line issues could, 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 could be an issue for certain running backs or even certain receivers. If a quarterback isn't going to have enough time to, to throw down the field. So paying attention to, to things like that uh, is going to be crucial. And then for tight ends, you're always looking for routes run. So if a tight end doesn't look like he's going to play, you know, the majority of the snaps, like a guy like, like a Mike Gesicki last year where it was like, okay, is he going to be out there when they need a blocker? No. And then that kind of tanked his value. So I'm um, just kind of being aware of, of those kind of things. It, it's very player specific. I, I, don't, I think one of the things in fantasy you don't want to do is overgeneralize. Like there are some broader trends and things to look out for, but then you still have to go and say, okay, does this actually apply now to this player or not? You know, there, it's just, it's just a starting point. So, um, you know, that, and that's, that's where, you know, guys like Sean and I come in, you know, listen to our podcast, uh, our right. tweets and things like that. So, um, yeah. Sean, thoughts on draft bus? Yeah, I mean, bus happen. I I make mistakes all the time. We're ending up with a handful of bus on my team. You know, they're just gonna bust or get hurt most of the time. It's out of your control. So um, that's why I do things like draft a ton of running backs late in the draft and stash them on my bench. It's sort of insurance for that. Um, you know, like we've said uh, off the top, it's a position that can have. A lot of injuries, volatility, where guys, you know, leapfrog the starter because they're struggling. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong with running back. And I would say to be especially careful with running backs in the rounds three through six range every season. Um, you know, this is commonly referred to as the dead zone. I prefer frozen pond. Um, and I'm not saying you need to completely avoid it. Usually there's one or two backs in this range I love every year. Um, last year I targeted Tony Pollard heavily in this range this is the range where you could have grabbed josh jacobs so there are league winners in this range um so i try to key in on a couple players if they fall to me great however the the way you get in trouble in this range is you just take a running back just because you think you need one um so that's sort of how people get in trouble in this range so that's kind of one of the ways that i avoid getting bust is avoiding Running backs I'm lukewarm about in this range just because they do bust at such a high rate based on all the reasons we've laid out uh, for running backs. So that's that's basically my number one way of avoiding busts at running backs. And just to add to that, you know, we mentioned running backs tend to get hurt more. So paying attention to the preseason injuries as well, because just appearing on the injury report makes a player more likely to appear on the injury report in the future. And, you know, like there's a good about a quarter, about 25 to 30% of players who are questionable tend to miss game, tend to miss a game. If you miss one, the average, you know, if you miss one game, the likelihood is you're usually missing more than one game. So a lot of times I think I notice every year guys are, are usually overvalued that are hurt, you know, like JK Dobbins comes to mind last year, this year, you know, Brees Hall and Javante Williams are guys. I think we have to be, uh, very careful with and then you look at a guy like Jamison Williams who you know Sean and I both think is just egregious, egregiously overvalued I think he's going in the top 50 receivers he's going to miss six games and this is not even an injury risk like we know he's going to miss six games so like when you f factor that out yes like you there's good you can replay another player um, you know while he's 
out. But again, it, it's it's limiting your your max upside because your your the ideal situation would be to draft a guy with your you know it, with that pick that could potentially give you seventeen games of 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 upside or or thirteen or, or more than ten or eleven. You know, so uh, I think injuries and missed games are something that it like just at having a, a, an understanding of first of all, that running backs are going to be twice as likely. And second of all, that guys that start the year and that are already hurt, uh, they tend to be overvalued because people tend to kind of brush it off. And the, the average fantasy drafter is not necessarily paying attention to every beat report and every piece of right. news and updating the way we are. So it's like, to us, it's like, Jesus, this guy has been hurt for like the entire <laughs> camp, but like to somebody else, it's like, okay, he was good last year. He's, right. he's questionable for week one, but like, that's <laughs> so is every football player, right? Like, right. you know, it's football. So like, but like really pay attention to those injuries and especially like what kind of injuries, because, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but soft tissue injuries linger. If it, if it's a guy like, um, you know, a, a note for Tua Tungabailoa, for example, if he gets a concussion, he's probably missing multiple weeks, you know, if not more, just if he gets a concussion period, uh, which would be different from a lot of players. So, you know, just kind of knowing things like that and, ma- and making sure that as you're drafting, you have the most information possible and you're not necessarily stepping into some of those risks um, when you could avoid, unless it's an appropriate risk. Like I said, if it's, if it's the 12th round, sure, take a, take a chance on an injured guy is a lot better, but especially in those first five, six, seven rounds, um, that's where you're really going to go wrong. And a lot of times those running backs, you know, those three to six running backs don't work out as much because again, they get hurt more. And then what happens Those running backs in round seven through 12, those are the guys that are going to be taking their place. So that's, that, that's kind of why um, that's kind of how you have to look at it when it comes to to bust, just kind of look at those missed game risks um, for each player. And this is why you have to follow our fantasy experts. We're talking with Chris Raybon and Sean Kerner here on the action network podcast, because you guys do put so much work in to your projections, to your rankings, and you're doing all of that research that, you know, the average listener of this show, like probably doesn't have time to do. So with that in mind, Sean, what is your process for just researching and doing prep leading up to a draft? Well, I, for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm creating projections and updating them constantly. So um, I have that edge going with me, but I, I think something that everybody should do, including myself is to just do as many mock drafts as possible or, you know, take actual best ball teams. Cause you're, you're going to be in drafts with people competing for money. So that's been the best way that I prepare for the season is just draft as many best ball teams as possible, because as always practice makes perfect. So by doing a ton of drafts, you kind of know where your weaknesses are. Like, so my first initial drafts, I'm like stumped. Like I, I know what part of the draft I'm like, I don't know what the hell to do. So I go back, I come over the plan. So it's, it's one of those things where you get a sense of how other people are drafting, where your, you know, weak spots might be. And you just kind of get a better overall plan by just doing a lot of drafts. So that's, that's my advice. If you don't want to like pony up money and do real best ball drafts, just do mock drafts on any of the sites and, you know, you're going to get better and have a better understanding on like what your overall strategy should be. Raybon, you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, um, you know, getting, whether it's, you could do a draft simulator, you could do, I, I prefer best ball drafts because I like to have some skin on each draft. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm past the point where I, if I'm like, if I'm going to spend like, you know, an, an hour on a draft, I need to be, I need to have some yeah. upside there, but that's just me. Yes. Um, yeah. But, but to a, to a larger point, I think it's just understanding um, 
kind of the tiers going in and Sean, yeah. you know, during the week does the, you know, tier divides players into tiers at each position, just understanding the, the drop-offs because, you know, uh, there'll be certain tiers that you want to take as many players as possible. And there'll be some tiers where you don't, you want to take like a player as close to the, uh, the bottom as possible. Like you don't want to start a tier and, and like, you're probably getting the worst value there. Uh, so, you know, just kind of understanding that I think is, is big and there's always going to be you know like there's a few players that just kind of stand out like i would never say do not draft because i think there's a point at a draft where everyone becomes valuable but there's certain players that you could see like they're probably not ever going to get to be as valuable as you think they are based on their adp so like guys like jameson williams for me like he's a guy i know i'm not going to draft so just kind of having an idea of guys that you you know you really think are well overvalued guys that you know kind of targets that you think are generally going to be undervalued and and kind of building your team around that and like you, you know you mentioned maria that like some certain strategies like maybe a zero rb you know it's kind of scary so that's why <laughs> that's where no that's where these like mock drafts or best balls come in yeah. because that's why i say like hey like this year's a little different for me i am kind of drafting running backs later uh, on average mm-hmm. because i've looked at my teams and compared them you know when i take you know two running backs in the first four or five rounds to teams where i take one or or none even and i'm like i i feel a lot better about this team um, and you know, that's something where you can always, you know, you can always post your, your, your teams online to get feedback from, from us or the community or whoever. So, um, you know, I think it, it is important to kind of go through your draft in some type of way, um, and, and kind of see how your team would look out, would, would look from, from different draft spots, or if you know your draft spot, you could keep, you could just do that one. But yeah, it, it that, that preparation is key because that there's nothing that's going to replace knowing how your team or, or getting examples of how your team is actually going to, uh, to look at the end. I confess that I haven't done a lot of mock drafting in my fantasy career. And that's probably why (laughs) I have faced some of this, you know, draft day anxiety uh, that I discussed. Um, But look, there's, there's so much that happens. I mean, the draft is one thing, but you know, in season management is maybe even more important uh, because that's a a week to week and it's a constant thing. So, all right, you get through the draft, it's time to set the lineups. How do you do that, Sean? And how do game scripts play into it? Uh, so again, I'm I'm basing most of my decisions based on the projections I'm making. And one of the th- when it comes to game scripts, that is an important part when it comes to Raybon or my projections, um, because players' roles can change based on game script. Um, so just w- when it comes to like running back, for example. Um, let's look at week one, you know, the lions are six and a half point underdogs facing the chiefs on the road. Um, so when it comes to, you know, Jameer Gibbs, a pass catching back versus Gabe Montgomery, who's probably going to be more of the early down back. That's a game where there's going to be more passing volume and a player like Gibbs is probably going to be more involved while Montgomery less so. Um, and on the flip side, you have the commanders who are a six point, um, you know, home favorite. They're not going to be big favorites very often during the season, but they will week one against Cardinals. So Brian Robinson for the commanders is typically going to thrive um, in a more, you know, positive game script like that. So he's probably going to be more in play than the rest of the season. Whereas Antonio Gibson, their pass catching back will probably get a downgrade. And I'm not saying you should start or sit any of these guys, but game scripts do have a pretty big influence when it comes to a player's projection, because it does dictate, you know, if a team's going to be more likely to throw more or run more. Um, so that's that's a big part when it comes to making projections and rankings. Raybon, what about you? Uh, how do you go about setting your lineups or what's the biggest thing that that goes into it? 
So I think, you know, game scripts aren't, are very important. And that, you know, from a, a, like the way we're doing projections is at least the way I do them is I'm usually my, I have like a baseline for every player, what he would do against like a league average opponent, same thing for teams. How often would they pass and run versus a league average defense? And then, you know, for each week I'll go and I'll, I'll have like my projected spread. For example, if a team is a 10 point favorite, they're going to pass less than they would against, you know, the average team, which would, you would be a pick them or something. So, you know, kind of looking at it like that, but it, it's all going to come down to rankings. And like, that's, that's, you know, what Sean and I are doing. So, you know, it, it's really like, all that is going to be kind of accounted for, but yes. Um, I think when it comes to game scripts, they're very helpful just to know some general things. Quarterbacks, for example, highly correlated to, a team's implied point total. So that means like if a team is a, a 10 point favorite with an over under of, you know, 50, that means, you know, they're going to, they're, they're projected to score 30 points or whatever. So like that, that's a, a really good score. So court, the more implied points, generally the higher a quarterback's going to score. Same thing goes for defense, uh, for kickers. And then for defenses, it's the opposite. It's, you know, the lower the implied points for the opponent, the better you are with defenses. So I think looking at things like the Vegas lines or, you know, if you happen to be doing your own game projections, which I'm sure certain people do, yeah. or, or you, you just, you know, maybe you look at like 538 or, you know, one of those other models, whatever you do, like those can help with, um, with those, those kind of onesie positions. And then, you know, if you're looking, there's also the, 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 the other thing to think about when you're setting a lineup and, and this can happen. Uh, I think a lot more late in the year when you're kind of, uh, posturing for playoff position. But if you're in a situation where you feel like you're an underdog uh, in your lineup, then you may want to take a, 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 put a more a riskier player in your lineup. Mm -hmm. That goes back to like, for example, uh, I'm trying to think of like, uh, who's like your average slot receiver these days who like, doesn't like Isaiah McKenzie. Oh yeah, 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 that's perfect actually. Tyra Boyd, there we go. Yeah, because I say Mackenzie might not even win that job. In <laughs> but yeah, Tyra Boyd is a perfect example. Tyra Boyd, you know what he's going to do most weeks? He's going to get you know two to four catches for like thirty to fifty yards, probably, um, maybe a touchdown every two or three games. Whereas uh, you may have a let's say a, a, a rookie like let's say Michael Wilson is starting is, is like he's a starter for the Cardinals, and you're like okay, like. You know, Marquise Brown is banged up. You know, this guy might, uh, this guy might, you know, kind of bust out here. He might give me a higher ceiling, uh, or, or just like a deep, like a DJ Chark, a guy who's going to get more deep balls thrown to him. So you might want to start him if you're an underdog. If you're a favorite, oh, you just need those three to five, you know, those three to five catches. Then you start a guy like Tyra Boyd. So that's the other consideration. And if you're if you're ahead on Monday night, uh, and there, if you don't get a bonus for like scoring more points when you're like ahead by only a few points, just you could take a guy out of your lineup too, because the last thing you want is a guy to like fumble, get hurt, get like minus minus 2.6, leave the game and you lose by like a 10th of a point because you left him in. Nothing thinking, worse. Yeah. So like th thinking about uh, things like that um, and, you know, there's certain things you can also do. Like if later in the year, you know, attrition is going to play a big part. And if you see your opponent is weak at running back, um, and it probably has to pick up somebody barring the injury report. If you have the space on your roster and you're not really using like maybe the last one or two spots because your team's in good shape, you you can you can drop like maybe you have like a sixth wide receiver. You could drop that sixth wide receiver and try to pick up, you know, a running back that then your opponent won't be able to pick up. So there, there are things like that. And of course, if you have a waiver claim, you might not want to waste it. But so it depends on, you know, the type of um, free agency your league has. But things like that you, you can pay attention to, to to get a little bit of an edge as well. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned waivers. We're going to get into that um, in just a second. But I think like as you were describing that, I was just having flashbacks. I feel like most, you know, fantasy casual uh, players have been in that situation where the, the obvious play is to start your stud, but like a potential game script or, or some other factor is telling you like maybe this other player that you wouldn't usually start, it might be riskier, like might be the better play. And that's like the internal <laughs> debate. And like, you're looking for that, like, you're just looking for that decision. Like, do I go this way or that way? Um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges on a week to week basis. Um, and then the other, the other thing is the commitment to, you know, paying attention to the waiver wire, and also sort of playing a little defense, like you were talking about Raybon within your league, paying attention to other people's rosters, identifying needs that you might have and where you could maybe find some leverage and potentially trade with people. I was like, I, I've in my, again, my career <laughs> been like pretty anti-trade. Trades like freaked me out, um, especially when somebody offers me one. I'm like, whoa, 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 what's the catch here? You know, so I'm very defense defensive when it comes to trade. So, um, Sean, can you relate? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a lot of my leagues, no one trades with me, uh, like my buddies league, they don't, they think I'm trying to, you know, siphon off their best player or something, but, um, trust uh, trades in general are tough to rely on. Uh, it really depends on your league mates. Um, and if they're willing to do that, if they're willing to go through with them, but if you're in a league that loves trading, uh, it's a great way to, you know, sell high or buy low on players and just alter your roster based on what your current needs are. Um, there's a million examples I could use when it comes to trades, but one I could think of is like, let's say you're eight. No. Um, and it looks like you're destined for the playoffs. Um, and it, you're just, your team building process should be looking towards the playoffs, like looking at players that maybe have good matchups in week 16 and 17, and maybe try to acquire them uh, for cheap. Um, another example would be if a player like Saquon Barkley, let's say he he suffers a multi-week injury where he's going to be out the next three games and then he should be fine for the fantasy playoffs. What I would do is try to get that player, especially if that's a team that's fighting to make the playoffs. You know, they're four and six or whatever. Uh, they, they need to kind of sacrifice short-term value or to, to make the playoffs. So that's a trade that could be mutually beneficial for both people. Um, so again, there's a million different ways to kind of deal with trades and what you should or shouldn't do, but it is a good way to kind of sell high or buy low or just build your team based on current needs. Rayvon, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think the 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 usually the ideal trade is when you're trading away multiple players of lesser value for a stud. Usually that's the way you're going to put your team in the best position. If you drafted well, um, what you're going to, you're going to hope that some of the players because again, you want to be taking, you know, higher ceiling, you know, higher risk guys later in the draft. If a couple of those guys pan out and you weren't planning on them to be your starters anyway, a lot of times you can package, you know, uh, maybe, you know, two wide receiver threes and, and maybe a, a, a number two running back for like a stud wide receiver or, or a stud running back because, you know, certain teams might be, as Sean mentioned, fighting for playoffs position and they're just decimated by injuries. They just need the bodies. So that's why I, it's always important to, um, I usually don't like to hold more than one quarterback or tight end if I'm if you only have to start one on my roster because you want to load up on running backs and, and wide receivers because those are your trade chips, especially running backs. Like if you have, you know, five startable running backs, 
like you you can control your entire league in terms of trading because you know most people are going to have you know one to two if that so uh i think that's really how the ideal is usually to 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 package multiple lesser guys uh for for a stud running back or a stud wide receiver that would be difficult to replace or acquire you know otherwise on the waiver wire you know once you've already drafted you know, it's something um, important to look out for because I always have felt like there, there's usually like that one person in the league that tries to like bait everybody else into like <laughs> a bad trade and just will like offer so many trade scenarios. And you always have to like pause and like, am I really taking this seriously? But, you know, I think um, I I have seen that a lot where it's like, okay, it, it looks exciting because there's like three players for one. And then you like look and you're like, well, these players all suck. So <laughs> like, why am I going to trade? <laughs> You know, this so definitely something to look out for. Um, and how about waivers, Sean? What what are your thoughts on waivers? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to waivers, it's really one of the key ways to really build a championship roster. Um, and, and there's a few guys every year that end up being league winners that you could have scooped up on waivers. Um, and when it comes to waivers, I think it's it's key to know when to burn your number one waiver uh, or blow your uh, fab budget. Um, typically I do this on a running back um, who presents, you know, like multiple weeks of value for the rest of the season, as opposed to just a couple um, games. So for example, you know, if a backup running back who's going to be filling in for running back, that's just going to be missing one or two games. I wouldn't go all in on that unless, you know, they're must win games or you need them to go to the playoffs. Um, the times I go all in is when, you know, uh, starting running back gets a season ending injury. And now the backup is going to start the rest of the season. Presumably that's the time to go all in kind of goes back to what Raybon was talking about. Startable games. You're going to get the most startable games from a back like that. So those are typically the situations that you really want to just like go all in, spend your number one waiver or your fab budget. Uh, but again, it depends uh, based on the situation, but usually those are the situations that I like to go all in. I think with, like, first of all, running backs are by far the way to spend your fab budget. Like a lot of times, even if I need to pick up a, a tight end, a quarterback, you know, something, I'll, I'll never use my waiver priority. I'll just let the rest of the week kind of bid on guys. Right. And then I'll, I'll just use like, once everyone's free to go free to just pick up, that's when I'll pick up those positions. So you, you kind of want to save, um, most of your budget for running backs and the later you get in the season, the more you can kind of adjust it. So I would say, don't go, you know, don't blow your budget early. Cause like, even if there is a, a running back that looks great, like let's say one, a guy goes down in week one, you know, yes, there might be a running back coming in that now has you know a lot more value. Uh, but there also could be the possibility. There's still a long time for that running back to get injured. Cause you, now you're still in week two. So, you know, the, the further you get into the season, the more you can kind of, go, you know, you'll, you'll know when to go bigger on one specific back, but also if you have some budget left over for later, then you can start using it. You know, maybe there's a key matchup that you have to win. And there's like one defense that's just heads and, you know, head over heroes above every other defense you could pick up and you're streaming. Maybe you do spend a couple dollars on that defense, you know, because it will make your team that much better. So I would say a key is also just don't look to like blow your budget early. If just, if you start zero and one or zero and two, it's not the end of the world trust the process, like, because it's going to, it's, it's what, it's, if you start 0 and 2 and, and you eventually rebound and now you're, you're sitting at like six and five, 
with no FAAB budget, you're going to be in a lot worse of a position right. than, you know, than the alternative. So like if, if you draft a bad team, sometimes bad teams are just going to happen. There's nothing you can do to fix it. Yeah. But like a FAAB is not like a, and waiver is not like a, a massive fix to like, you, you need to kind of spread that out. Cause again, you need to be able to react to not only your own injuries, but if something else comes up in the league, maybe it's yeah. blocking another person. So yeah, I, don't blow it early and try to save it mostly for, for running backs, especially uh, if you are using it earlier. Fab free agent acquisition budget. You know, I, I am curious if either of you use any sort of tool to determine how much to bid on a player. Does that just depend on your situation, the league situation? Um, or do you look at a percentage? Is there anything um, we should know in that regard, Sean? Um, it really depends on the situation. Sometimes I like to float a poll to see what other people and other leagues are thinking. Mm. Um, I think uh, the community aspect of that helps just get a sense, like are people spending 30% of their budget on it? So just getting an idea of that mm -hmm. uh, helps. But uh, again, it, it really depends on the situation. If you know, there's somebody in your league that really needs a running back and they have a hundred percent of their fab left. Um, you just have to assume they're going to make a gigantic bed, things sure. like that. Knowing your league, if it's a bunch of friends, you should know your league. Um, and then that, that would give you an edge of just like actually knowing the people. Um, but again, it's one of those things that you just kind of have to guess. There's no like scientific way to do it because all it takes is one person outbid you. Um, so it comes down to just how much are you willing to bid on the player? Um, and then if you really like them, go a little bit higher. But again, I, I like to put out some polls on Twitter um to or whatever it's called now x so to, just to get <laughs> just to get a rough sense of what other people are thinking outside of you know my thoughts yeah there's going to be no perfect way to, to determine it because it's going to depend on the you know the yeah. player the individual players available in your league and as sean mentioned the kind of behavior you know how aggressive or or unaggressive are you know people so a lot of times you could just kind of think of it as you know if if, if you think of it as a percentage uh, for, you know, 17, you know, it's roughly 6% per week. Right. So if you kind of think, okay, um, you know, how, again, you could go back to startable games. If you think this guy is going to start for, for give you startable games for eight games, then, you know, maybe you, you, you'd be willing to go up to, you know, somewhere near 50%, you know, but it's, again, it all depends on also how many guys, like how big is your league? How many guys are available? Like, it, you know, is there more than like one, like great game or player available per week on your waiver wire. Like it, all these things come in. So there's never going to be a, a exact number, but I would say start by just kind of dividing each week into like a 6% uh, chunk. And then, you know, the more you're saving, the more flexibility you have to be a little wrong um, about, you know, how much you should spend. And it's, it's more about, I think the confidence level and, you know, maybe like a max. So, you know, sometimes Sean and I will write up waivers and we might give a percentage like that, like that's the max I would spend on him. Now, if you can get it, it's just like ADP. If, if your league is not that aggressive, you probably go a little lower, but, um, you, you just, you don't want to overspend to the point where you have literally zero flexibility in the last few weeks where it could be the most yeah. important few weeks. So um, I, yeah, I say you could start by just kind of dividing it up into percentages and then kind of go from there and just kind of like, if you're following like experts, look at how confident they are, what they're saying about the player, or um, if they give a percentage or, you know, you can kind of go off that, but there's no, it's, it's more of a uh, art than a science. Yeah. Any other, uh, any other parting words, Sean, before we go? Uh, just again, draft as many running backs as humanly possible <laughs> yeah. in the last rounds. I mean, 
We have been sitting here for two months with nothing going on since the draft, and everybody thought that everything was going to happen as expected. And look, one week in a training camp, we have Josh Jacobs out of town. Uh, Jonathan Taylor might be on the NFI list or whatever. Uh, Dalvin Cook might sign with the Jets. Uh, Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet are all hurt. Like the running back position is a shit show, so you have to act accordingly. Don't, don't forget on him. the great the great Sony Michelle has hung up the cleats. Yeah, well. he retired. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just a nightmare. And people always like they're always confused. Like, wow, it's a no. It's always going to be like this. It's going to get worse too. So make sure you have a lot stashed in your bunker. I yep. love it. Well, listen, this has been our experts guide to fantasy football. Can't say thank you enough to our experts, Chris Raybon and Sean Kerner. For more fantasy football content from these two, be sure to follow them in our free award-winning action app. You can also subscribe to the Fantasy Flex podcast right here at Action Network. Multiple episodes are released each week for both season-long and DFS players. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out the rest of our recently released episodes, our experts guides to sports betting series. We did NFL already, MLB, NHL, and more all available now on the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. I'm Maria Marino. Thanks again. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.